everybody. What is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. Today, we're reading Numbers 29, in which we read about offerings for three different feasts. And we're going to spend some extra time today diving deep. So what were these feasts and what do they mean for us today? When I went to Israel this past spring, the students had an opportunity to visit the shops in the Jewish quarter, which is in the old city of Jerusalem. And one young man felt it fitting to purchase a shafar, which is a horn made out of a ram's horn. And when he got on the bus, naturally, all the other guys were cheering him on to blow it. And as a chaperone, we weren't encouraging it, but I think the other chaperones and I were all on the same page. Like, we were a little curious as to what it would sound like, seeing as these horns were everywhere in the market and no one else in our group had thought to investigate. And the funny thing was, when he blew it, he sounded like a middle schooler picking up a trumpet for the first time because it did not work at all. He sounded horrible. But had he been a Jewish person who regularly celebrated the Jewish feasts, he would have been a pro because every year he would celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. Nevertheless, that wasn't the case, and this trumpet was unfamiliar and foreign. And oftentimes when we read about the feasts, their significance is lost on us. They're full of long lists of instructions that can be boring to read, and we don't know what to make of them. But it doesn't have to stay that way. So what were these feasts, and what do they mean for us today? The first feast we read about in Numbers 29 is the Feast of Trumpet. Now, anytime we study the scriptures, we start with observation. We ask, what do I notice? What can I explicitly observe? It's the who, what, when, where, why, and how questions. So starting off with who, who is speaking? We can come to the right conclusion by taking note of the last verse of chapter 29, as Moses would speak all the commands from the Lord to the people. So Moses is speaking. Then we can make some what observations. What's repeated? What's emphasized? What's related? What do I know about the speaker? What are they doing? What's commanded? Etc. And so on. And we can observe that on this day, based off the commands, the people will not work. Verse 1, they will also blow the trumpets. They will offer a burnt offering that consists of one bull, one ram, seven male lambs, that's all verse 2, grain offerings for the bull, grain offerings for the ram, those are verse 3, and then in verse 4, grain offerings for the lamb. And if we ask a how observation question, like how much of each, we'll notice that each of the offerings is proportional to the size of the animal. That said, the next observation question is when. When is this happening? And it's right there in verse 1. On the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. Now, when I'm observing the scriptures, this observation might not tell me much. But the next step in good Bible study method is interpretation. What does this scripture or this verse or this passage mean culturally, historically, or theologically? Oftentimes, to interpret scripture, we can easily find the meaning or significance by looking at cross-references or other relevant passages. But as is the case here, we can better understand the historical and cultural meaning of this passage by consulting a commentary. That's what I did. So what was the significance of the first day of the seventh month? Essentially, it was Israel's New Year's Day. So think January 1, but in September. And you might also know this day as Rosh Hashanah. An article from Got Question tells us the words trumpet blasts are a translation of a Hebrew word, which means a shout or a blowing. It appears that the shofar, 
a ram's horn, which is what my student on the bus purchased, was to be blown at this time, as it was on the other new moons. Jewish tradition indicates that both the ram's horn and the priestly silver horns, which we did not see at the market in Israel, otherwise I'm sure one would have ended up on our bus, were both used in the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets, along with the other six festivals of the Lord, foreshadowed certain aspects of the ministry of Jesus. The prophets linked the blowing of the trumpets to the future day of judgment. See Joel 2 or Zephaniah 1. Now, continuing through this article, I read, In the New Testament, we see that the Lord's second coming will be accompanied by the sound of a trumpet. Each of the judgments in Revelation 8 and 9 is also signaled by a trumpet. Just as the shafar called the Jewish nation to turn their attention to the Lord and ready themselves for the Day of Atonement, so will the trumpet call of God call us to heaven and warn the world of coming judgment, the article concludes. So all that said, when we encounter difficult passages like that of the feasts, we start with observation. What's the instruction? What do I notice? Then we move to interpretation. What does this mean culturally, literally, historically, and theologically? So really quickly, let's do the same thing looking at the last two, starting with the Day of Atonement. We talked a lot about the Day of Atonement in the Leviticus bonus episode, so I'd encourage you to check that out because here I observed that the instructions or commands given are pretty similar to the offerings for the Feast of Trumpets. However, this one takes place on a different day, the 10th day instead of the 7th. It's a noticeable difference. And what does it mean? Well, after further study, I learned that the Day of Atonement, also called Yom Kippur, was the holiest day of all days on the Jewish calendar. And on this day, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the most inner part of the tabernacle, to atone or pay for the sins of the people. You can read all about this in Leviticus 16. Again, good interpretation, good Bible study method asks what other passages are related. Leviticus 16, let scripture interpret scripture. Here in Numbers 29, we're only learning about the offerings. The actual Day of Atonement involved much more, ritual cleansing for the priest, two goats, etc. But again, Numbers 29 details the burnt offering. What were burnt offerings? One commentator puts it like this. The Hebrew word for burnt offering actually means to ascend, literally to go up in smoke. The smoke from the sacrifice ascended to God, a soothing aroma to the Lord, Leviticus 1. Technically, any offering burned over an altar was a burnt offering. But in more specific terms, a burnt offering was the complete destruction of the animal, except for the hide, in an effort to renew the relationship between holy God and sinful man. With the development of the law, God gave the Israelites specific instructions as to the types of burnt offerings and what they symbolized. A person could give a burnt offering at any time. It was a sacrifice of general atonement, an acknowledgment of the sin nature and a request for renewed relationship with God. God also set times for the priest to give a burnt offering for the benefit of the Israelites as a whole, although the animals required for each sacrifice varied. And the commentator concludes by saying, the ultimate fulfillment of the burnt offering is in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. His physical life was completely consumed. He ascended to God, and his covering, that's his garment, was distributed to those who officiated over his sacrifice. But most importantly, his sacrifice, once for all time, atoned for our sins and restored our relationship with God. Burnt offerings, they don't necessarily mean as much to us today as they probably should. 
Understanding just how much the Israelites had to do in order to be right with God helps us better understand with greater depth how huge and monumental Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection is. But because of time, we've got to keep moving. The Feast of Booths, making some observations, what's different and what's repeated. Well, a lot. It takes place on the 15th day, but then we get the subsequent seven days and their individual instructions. This feast started five days after the Day of Atonement, and at this point, the fall harvest would have just finished. That said, it was a cheerful season of celebration, and the Israelites recalled and celebrated God's provision for them in the current year, in addition to his provision and protection while they were wandering in the wilderness. I also noticed that the instruction for each subsequent day changes when it comes to the quantity of bowls needed for the offering. One commentator, after addressing the changing quantities, puts it like this. The lambs and the rams also were in double proportion to the number sacrificed at any other festival. This, as I personally failed to think about, he continues, was an expensive service, but more easy at this time of the year than any other because now their barns were full and their hearts might be well inclined to be more enlarged than at other times and thankfulness to God for the multitude of his mercies. Remember, this was at the end of the harvest. So that said, why does the number of bulls decrease? Wouldn't we expect it to increase? Well, the commentator concludes, The Jewish professors give this reason for the daily decrease of the number of bulls. The whole number, they say, was according to the languages of the 70 nations of the world, and the decrease of one each day signified that there should be a gradual decrease of the number of nations or the number of those nations till all things were brought under the government of the Messiah, in whose days no sacrifices shall remain but those of thanksgiving, prayer, and praise. Pretty profound to think about that even in the days of the Israelites, as they commemorated their time wandering, they looked forward to the day when the Messiah would return, his second coming, ultimately. I don't know if they grasped that then, but they longed for him to unite all people under his leadership. Which begs the question, do you regularly and routinely long for Christ to return and for people of all nations and languages to know him? Often, we talk about Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection, but we fail to reflect on his ascension and coming return. Today, as I think about the way the Jewish people potentially viewed the rams and desired the Messiah's coming, I'm convicted. I don't think about Christ's return enough, and I have ground to take when it comes to longing for others to know Jesus. Spend some time reflecting on the significance of the feast. Dig in, study hard, and be prayerful. And as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.